We as a church are committed to fulfilling our mission. Our true north will keep us in line, gathering, connecting, and serving. But there is also a true north for us as individuals. And I'll say it this way, that there is something we can do together. We gather, connect, and serve. That's a corporate, together, church family thing. And that true north keeps us together, aligned with God's purposes. But obviously, when we're not gathering, connecting, and serving together, we're on our own. And there are, in many ways, a lot of ways we can grow our faith, but there are also things that are non-negotiable critical elements. In other words, I cannot be the person God wants me to be if I don't do these things. I gather and connect with you, and that helps me become a part of God's family and be everything I can be there. But God's family is going to ultimately be only as strong as the decisions you and I are making when we're away from each other. And there are a lot of components to that, and I will agree a lot of them are important, but there are three basics that are incredibly important to us, and we know are important to God. And even if we get all the other things right, if we miss these three, there is no way that we can be the people that God has created us to be. It would be like a football coach saying, I have the ultimate two-point conversion playbook. Like, I promise you, every time it's going to work, 100%. I've worked in it for years and years. Well, thank you, sir, but if you don't have a plan for the other 100 yards, that's not going to help us. Because if we can't get in the end zone, we never get to do this. And a lot of times we look at our faith and look at all the other little elements and all the other little things we do, but we just miss out on the basics of what is important and what God has called us to. So we're taking a look at that and calling that our true north as individuals. So our true north as a church, gather, connect, serve. Our true, nor- true north as an individual, as people, as persons in the family is to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus, and then listen to Jesus. To talk to him, talk about him, and listen to him. And if we don't have all three of those in line in our lives and developing those along the way, we're going to miss out on being the people God has called us to be. And last week, we looked at talking to Jesus. We looked at prayer, what prayer is, what prayer is not. And I hope that this week, you've taken steps in strengthening and deepening your prayer life. We're going to talk now about talking about Jesus, talking to other people. If you grew up in church, you knew phrases like sharing the gospel, or you knew words like evangelism, telling your story. And I want us to look at talking about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, a man named Paul, who wrote the, prime, uh, the uh, predominant part of our New Testament, most of the letters that you'll find there are written by him. And this letter we have called 2 Corinthians, he's writing to Christians in a place called Corinth, He had been attacked a little for his motivation, why he was who he was, that he was arrogant, that he was doing it for himself. And in a way, he's defending himself in this letter, trying to defend the cause. And in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. He says, Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we don't stay out of people's business. We get in people's business because it is our business. We try to persuade others. We try to make sure that they know the Lord the way we know him. We speak up. We talk about him. And if you are currently not talking about Jesus to people around you, or if you've never talked to anyone else about Jesus in your life, it's most likely because of one of three things. Either you're unaware, you feel unprepared, or you just don't care. One of the three. 
So you've got this idea of unawareness, of being unconcerned and feeling unprepared or unqualified. And in that same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have all of these addressed. And Paul, it's almost as if he knew the issues or as if people are just people, regardless of generation. He touches all of them. So I want us to begin addressing the idea of being unaware, just not thinking about it, just not paying attention. I have friends, I don't know, faith is their business, I don't know what they believe. I, I sometimes hear that they go to a church or go to this church or one of them said they saw me at church, I don't know. They pray before the meal, but it's, it's not my business, I stay out. I'm just a little unaware of that. Or I don't think about it, we just hang out. I don't consider really what's going on in their heart. And he says in verse 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He said, there was a time when we looked at people the way common people do. You just, you're tall, you're not, you're big, you're not, you're smart, you're less smart, you're you're successful, I don't know. We just see people. We see them, they're attractive or they're not, or we enjoy being around them, or they're funny or they're not. We We just see people. And he said, once you become a follower of Jesus, that should change because Christ saw you for who you were on the inside, not on the outside. And as we become more and more like Jesus, our picture changes as well. And we start to look at each other in different ways, not as, oh, I've got a neighbor. We have, oh, I wonder what's going on inside their hearts. You say, well, that's kind of weird and creepy and a little, you know, too much. And I get that. It's so strange to us and we do it so rarely that we don't even think about it. But he says, we don't view people from a worldly view anymore. We see them for what's really going on. In other words, when I first see people, it's not what I'm seeing on the outside or what they've done. It's who they are on the inside and what they're going through, what they believe, where they're ultimately headed. He said, being able to see beyond that is what's critical. And everyone in your life is either lost or found. They're either home or they're still away. And I want to encourage you to go through your circle of 10 And ask some hard questions. Do I know for sure that he is a follower of Jesus? Or is she for sure walking with God? You say, well, it's kind of hard to know, hard to see. Well, don't we hope that it's not hard for them to see in us? If they're listening to this today and you're the one on the outside and they're going through and they scroll through your name and their phone and they're going, I don't know. They go to church, but I've watched them do this or I've seen. We hope it's not the case with us and this is not about judging people. It's about being concerned for what's going, with what's going on in their heart. So some of you guys, especially you 40-year-olds, need to channel your inner MySpace and go back to your circle of friends, your top friends, and go, okay, if you don't know what that is, just move on. But you used to have to rank your friends, and it was on your public page, like your top 10 friends. And it could change. I mean, you'd watch out. I mean, I could take you off my list. And it, but you'd put your top friends on there. Well, some of you need to know your circle of 10, your top friends, and just ask the question with each one, do I really feel like if today's the last day, so to speak, that I'll be with this person for eternity at the feet of Jesus? Do I really feel that way? Just going through your list, and maybe if your circle of 10 has six family members, you probably already know the answer, and you might have to branch out a little bit. If you're just surrounding yourself with churchy people, maybe the answer is yes for all of them. And I would encourage you to get some friends who are far away. But anyway, however your friends are, go through the list, begin to check that. 
Not because you're nosy, but because you care. And if they're truly your friends and you ought to care about more than, oh, that looks nice on you, or that's cool, or good job, congratulations on the raise, knowing what's truly eternal and what truly matters, not being unaware. The second thing that I believe at times keeps us from this is you're just unconcerned. I hate to say don't care, but you can write whatever you want to if you're taking notes, depending on how defensive you are about that. Either unconcerned or just don't care. You know there's a need, but it's not enough to move you to do something about it. And Paul wrote this in verse 20. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a phrase there he wrote, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's a powerful way to write that. There are a lot of different ways to put it, but as God was making his appeal through us, When you are talking to people about Jesus, he says, it's as if God is working through you, using your voice and using your life to communicate what matters to them. And when Jesus showed up, he communicated all of that with passion and persistence, commitment, continuing to pursue. Even when we said no, he continued to come after us. He wasn't okay with us not being okay. If he was, he would have stayed in heaven. But Jesus came to us because he wasn't okay with us not being okay. And at some point, if you and I are supposedly followers of Jesus and going to live like him, we cannot be okay with other people not being okay. Can you make them believe? No. Some of you have tried that. You've got children, maybe even children living in your homes that are just saying, no, mom, I'm not there yet. And it breaks your heart and you know that, but you're not going to give up on them. You're never going to be okay with them not being okay. And at some point we have to realize that's the eye, that's the perspective, that's how God is viewing all those around you, the people at your work, the people in your neighborhood. He's viewing all of them through that lens. He's not okay that they're not okay. And if you and I are supposedly becoming more and more like Jesus every day, then it cannot be okay with us. If that person we work with, the person we live next door to, that person that we see at school, the one in our class, the one on our team is not okay. So the idea of being unconcerned is, is not something that's going to eventually be a part of God's family if God's family is to continue to grow. It has to care. And then the last idea is the idea of being unprepared. You just feel unqualified. Just don't know what to say. Like, I'm just afraid I'll mess it up. I don't know enough. But listen to what Paul wrote in verse 11 and then 14 and 18. He said, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And then verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Nowhere there does he say the motivating factor is because he's learned so much and now he's ready. He said, for my knowledge of the Bible compels me to speak out. For my understanding of theology compels me to speak out. Because I'm such a great communicator, I speak out. None of those things. He says, I speak out because of his love. 
It's not because he spoke so well, it's because Jesus loved so well that Paul just couldn't stop talking. He continued to talk about Jesus because of what Jesus had done, not because of who he was, not because of what his own abilities were. 10 to, I guess 12 years ago now, my family bought a new home and we moved in. Never thought we would have a pool, but God just gave us an incredible opportunity. So we bought this house, we had our, have our own pool. And when we got to the first winter, I heard everybody talking about, hey, make sure you winterize your pool. And I grasped the concept of winterizing the pool, but didn't know what that entailed. So I did what they did, and I called the guy. I said, hey, can you come winterize our pool? He said, sure. What neighborhood are you in? I'll be around there such and such a time. We set it up. He showed up. We shook hands. He said, it'll be $300. I was like, all right, I guess. I don't know. That's what you do. So I said, okay, do you mind if I watch you just so that I can learn more about the pool? I'm trying to figure this out. He said, sure, no problem. So I watched him. And then 15 minutes later, I handed him $300, watched him drive off. And he said, hey, holler at me next year. I said, no, I'm not doing that. No, we're never doing this again. So I thought that was unbelievable. One, Son, I've got a job for you to pursue after high school. <laughs> Two, you're going to do mine for free because this is not hard. Like lefty, loosey, righty, tidy, and we have a winterized pool. So the next year, in 14 minutes, I winterized my pool for free. And, but I look back on that and I feel like that's where we are with this idea of talking about Jesus. Like, oh, that's just so hard. What if they ask this and this and this and this and this? I don't know the answers. Well, if you haven't already figured it out now, I'm telling you, here are the things they're not going to ask. This and this and this and this and this. Most people who don't follow Jesus don't even know to ask this and this and this and this and this. That's not on their mind. You know plenty. You know more than you think you know. You know plenty to start up a conversation of talking about Jesus say, well, no, I've only been a Christian for 25 years. I don't need, you know plenty. Well, I only come to church once a month and I, it's a hit or miss of what you're talking about. You know plenty. Well, all I have is a new King James Bible. Don't even quite understand. You know enough. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in John chapter nine. I encourage you, if you have time to go back and read it some moment. But John chapter nine talks about a young man who couldn't see Jesus shows up. Jesus obviously approaches him. He didn't know to approach him too, much, too well. He approaches him. They have a conversation. He's healed. Jesus leaves. Then the boy goes through a, a strange informal court, if you will, in the community as people are persecuting and trying to prosecute and trying to figure out what's going on because they're against Jesus. And the kid doesn't really know what's happened. I say kids, young man. He doesn't really know what's happened. And they bring him in front of the people. They question him. He doesn't have many answers. They send him away. And then they bring him back. And he's talking more. And it's obvious that they know more about Jesus than he knows. And finally, they say, well, this man is a sinner because of when and how he healed you. He has an opportunity to give a declaration of what, who Jesus is. This is his moment to talk about Jesus. And his words were, according to John, literally, whether he's a sinner or not, I have no idea. All I know is that I couldn't see and now I can. 
the worst presentation of the gospel in the history of mankind. But that was enough. That's all he knew. He could answer no other question they asked him other than, what was it like before you met him and what was it like after? They even said, Jesus, we think is a sinner. He's like, maybe, I have no idea. I haven't been around him. All I know is when I met him, he changed my life. I'm different now and that's my story. And that is your story and you know plenty. So I want to share with you a couple of practical things as we wind this up. First, just this perspective. My life is my best evidence. The best evidence you have for the life-changing power of Jesus is simply your life, the way you live it. And your word, your talking about it, if you will, is going to be much more effective and much more powerful, most likely, if your life matches up with the message. If you're living the kind of life that they would say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense because I can see evidence of that. If this guy said Jesus changed my life and he's still walking into things and stumbling over himself and he can't see very well, and he can't make out, they're thinking, I don't know if you've met him or not. But his, the change he experienced was the most powerful part of the message. And if your life has been changed, that is the best evidence that you have. But if you have stumbled, if you have fallen, even as recently as this weekend, instead of sitting down and throwing a pity party and hating yourself, get back up, continue to follow him, and allow your story to be, and he continues to give me grace upon grace. Don't stop. Don't be silent just because you're embarrassed that you're not everywhere you want to be. Perfection is not going to be any of our story. But as we continue to try to pursue Jesus the most, faithfully, the most faithful way we can, that is our best evidence. Secondly, my story is my best sermon. You don't have to have a big fancy plan. If you want to write stuff down on an index card, just kind of have it to always bring out with you, that's fine. You always, you know, you go to a rest area, you're always going to have these little tracks that are somewhere in the bathroom that show you what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Or you're on the streets and a stranger's approaching you, you probably can assume he's wanting to talk something religion with you and he gives you something. That's fine, but all you have to do is tell your story. All you have to do is say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And your story is the best sermon What I do on Sunday mornings, I hope, is semi-effective and helpful. And if your next step is just to invite one of your friends who is away from Jesus and you weren't able to have that conversation, you bring them here, I know that. And that's why that I try so hard to make sure Sundays are prepared and ready because I never know when you're going to take me up on the invitation to go invite your friends. And I want to be ready for that. But ultimately, what I say is small so minor compared to your story, you being willing to share with the people that you know that are already a part of your life. And then third, my response to their response may determine the result. My response to their response may determine the result. And by that, I mean most of the time when you begin that conversation to talk about Jesus with someone, the answer is going to be, I don't know. Or, you know, you just kind of keep that to yourself. Or may I'll think about it. It's, it's rarely going to be in that moment, oh, 
I had no idea you believed. I had no idea what that meant. So I'm dropping to my knees and I want you to lead me to Jesus. That would be great if that happens. That's probably not going to happen. But if you are willing to hear from a friend or from someone that you live near or work with, no, I'm just not there yet. I'm, I, I don't want to do that thing that you do. And you continue to be their friend and you continue to show kindness and grace and you continue to laugh with them and you continue to show up for them. In other words, saying you weren't a spiritual project. You're someone I'm genuinely concerned about. And so therefore I'm gonna share with you the most important thing in my life. And I can't make you care, but it's not gonna run me off. Those are the moments that stick in someone's memory bank and even in someone's heart where eventually when that time comes, they can go back and say, thank you for being patient with me. I wasn't ready then, but man, I'm ready now. And you'll be so glad you never gave up on them just as God never gave up on you. But if that's not enough, just to remind you of how important it is and and how prepared you actually are, I want to share with you uh, one last scripture today. From the book of Ezekiel, there's a prophet And God spoke to him and gave him a vision and gave him a calling, if you will. And he said to him, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, for his country. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. He said, if someone leaves this life never having turned to me, and you are right there and never said a thing, not only are they going to experience horrible things, you are going to be held accountable. Not kicked out of heaven, not held out, not unloved by your creator anymore, but just held accountable. Their blood will be on your hands. But if you spoke up, if you did what you could and they still said no, they will have to deal with the consequences of that decision, but you will have been spared. I've shared this story before, but um, I think it's worth sharing again. Years ago, when I first began uh, graduate school work, um, I worked a couple of different part-time jobs, and one of them was at a health club, and I was working with a lot of college students, undergrad guys, who were just one, two, maybe three years behind me, and we built a lot of friendships, and one of my closest friends that I worked with that we always tried to pair up and work together on staff with uh, at the front desk, his name was Garrick, and he and I talked a lot. He was two years younger than me or so. We had a ton in common. Um, now, he did have green eyes, and he was a black guy, but other than that, we were just alike, and we loved each other to death, and we had a great friendship, great relationship, um, but as we would work together, when girls would come to the front desk, I did what I was asked to do by my wife, like, show that ring, so I would kind of pop my hand up on the, the counter all the time, so my hand would go up, and Garrick, as a joke, would always put his without a ring up top and go, I got this, and I'm like, yeah, so I'd back away and all the flirting and the whole thing, and we had a great friendship, and I at times wondered what was going on spiritually with him, but partly because I didn't want to mess up the relationship, partly because I didn't want to come on too strong, partly because I cared about what he thought about me too much. I'd never said anything. One night I was at my shift 
and he was going to relieve me of the shift. I was going home around five or six. I don't remember which time, but about the end of the day, he was late. He was never late. After about 15 minutes, the manager came up and said, what's going on? You're supposed to be off. I was like, ah, Garrick's running late. Came back about 30 minutes later, he still wasn't there. And I was trying to cover for him the best I can, but I was supposed to leave. Christy and I were going out with some other friends that night. The manager said, what's going on? And we were having a conversation there at the desk. And less than a moment or two later, the phone rang. I picked it up. Someone asked for a manager. I gave it to her. And as she held the phone, I saw in her face, I just got a sick feeling in my stomach. And I realized uh, what was going on. And on the way to work to relieve me of my shift, my buddy had passed away in a car wreck. And there were so many emotions that I dealt with that night. Uh, missing a friend, having all the questions that anyone would have in a moment like that, in a tragedy, 20-year-old kid. And then also began to think about that, Scripture and Ezekiel. And I began to go round and round and round with that in my mind, trying to justify all the moments of silence that I had presented with him. Trying to justify, well, I couldn't do this, couldn't do that. This, this timing wasn't, in the end, none of the excuses were flying and I knew it. So a few days later, we're at the funeral and I'm there with all of my coworkers and we're sitting there and I had just struggled through those days and a stranger got up and he began to preach the, the eulogy and as he did, he told a story about when Garrick was eight years old and was at some sort of Bible camp and had given his heart to Jesus and I'm going to tell you, I had the most selfish relief I'd ever experienced in my life. Because even more than being excited to know I would see him once again in front of Jesus, I just thought, whew, dodged one there. Because that one was on me and I knew it. And as far as I knew, I was the only person who could have been that voice for him. And I'm so glad that somebody else, when he was a kid, had the guts to do what I wouldn't do as an adult. And I want to challenge you, middle schoolers and high schoolers who are in this room, it is time now for you to make a difference. Because when you get old and 30 and stuff, when you get old, you start to get afraid. About the time you hit 30, you start fearing and what people think about you gets more and more and more and more important to you until you hit a certain age where God removes something called a filter and then you just don't care anymore. But between those other ages, getting you to talk about Jesus is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. But when you're young and you have those opportunities and you're able to bounce back and you just don't care as much, if you love Jesus, now is the time to take care of it because you are sitting right now around of a bunch of adults who are struggling right now with this thought that they have missed moments with people in their past. And it hurts. It hurts deeply. And I don't want you to have to go through that. So I simply want to ask all of us a question today. Do I care more about his or her eternity than I do their opinion of me. Because if I care more about their opinion of me than I do their eternity, then I don't know that I can call myself on mission and I'm not even sure I can call myself a follower of Jesus. 
For Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you.